Well, good morning, Grace Community Church. My name is Jared Irvine, and I'm the pastor of Junior High Ministries. And we'd like to welcome you, those who are joining us through this online platform. We're so glad that you are here this morning. And we pray that this message would encourage you and bless you wherever you're watching this. You know, going through this COVID experience, probably all of us have that, had at least this one question in our minds. And that is, what's God doing? What's he up to? You see, this has made us question our theology of suffering. Do you believe in a God that will intentionally test you? That actually, not everything in your life is going to go well, but that tests, trials, hardships, suffering, troubles, you know what? They may come frequently, even. And in fact, that's God's will and plan for our lives. It's not random, it's not mistake, but it's design. But you might think that that's hard to believe because God as our Father would never want his children to go through suffering. That he would protect us at all costs. But you know what? Our God actually has higher goals and a more profound plan for our lives than to simply let us go through life without going through any times of testing and trials and suffering. But you see, the good news about this is that God uses it. That it's not suffering without meaning, but it's in fact suffering with a purpose. Now this morning, I'm not going to go into a, a full theodicy, which is a technical word. It means a defense of God's goodness in light of evil and suffering. Because that's a highly, highly complex issue. It involves our own free will decisions as free willed creatures, balancing that with God's sovereign will. And then you have these spiritual evil forces that have some free will that push in on us. And then we just live in this broken world. And so in this land of sin and death, no human being gets out of this without suffering. And so that's a highly complex issue. And so we don't know why everything happens. This sermon is not to erase any question that we may have. There's a lot of things this side of eternity that's just a mystery. But the comfort that this passage this morning, which we're going to be reading out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 13 this morning, this passage, and there's many others in the New Testament, is that we don't suffer alone, and that in fact God uses suffering in our lives for a good. Now we actually have a father, a good father in heaven, and that he is up to something. Now it may not be completely obvious and clear to us as to what he's doing, but the comfort is that he's doing something. 
You see, this book of Hebrews actually was written to an audience who's suffering. They knew deep suffering. And this entire book, it's really a sermon, is the author is making an argument that Jesus is supreme. And because of Jesus' supremacy, that he's worth suffering for. And particularly in chapter 12, which is towards the end of the book, it's about God as Father using these things for a good. And so the main point that I'd like us to consider this morning is that our hardships are our Heavenly Father's design for his children to become holy. So let me read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 through 13 this morning. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Now, the author is going to quote from Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. And it's a very important quotation to make his argument. So this is from Proverbs. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. End of quote. And he actually goes back to his sermon in verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So the first point that we are, besides the main point that we're looking at this morning, which you'll see on your screen, is discipline is a sign of our sonship. Discipline is a sign of our sonship. That's verses 4 through 8. And so you might think that it would be the opposite. You might think that if we're experiencing suffering, hardships, troubles, that this is a sign actually that God has abandoned us. Or rather, maybe, that God is punishing us. But you see, Hebrews, the author here, is actually giving us another alternative is in fact that going through these difficulties actually shows that we are sons, that we are children of God. And you see, in this passage, the fatherhood of God is a very crucial 
idea. It's a very crucial reality. It's what he grounds his entire argument in, that, that God is our father and that we are his children. Now, I understand that not everyone maybe has a great relationship with their earthly father. But the truth is, is that actually every earthly father is a sinful human being and therefore is a failure. But the good news is that our heavenly father has never sinned and is therefore never going to fail us and perfectly loves us. And so if you've not had a good relationship with your earthly father, rejoice and be glad that you actually have a heavenly father who loves you dearly, that will never fail you. And if you've had a good earthly father, well, rejoice and be glad that you have an even greater father in heaven that, will perfect, that perfectly loves you, that will never fail us. But the fact that we can even call God Father, let's just slow down that train and not lose sight of this key foundational truth that God is our Father. What an honor it is to call him Father. That when we actually call him our father, that Christians, do you understand that we are assuming an entire background of grace, which is absolutely essential when we're going through times of suffering because we might doubt God's goodness. But we have to remember the background of grace. You see, Christians, that no one enters into this world Neutral. Neutrality is not a thing. You see, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says that by nature we're children of wrath. And that's because our first father, Adam, sinned against God and rebelled against God. And therefore, because we are from Adam, every single human being is enemies of God. They're enemies of God, but Ephesians 2.4 has that amazing contrastive word, but. It says, but God was rich in mercy. God being rich in mercy actually made us alive with Christ. And it's by grace, as Ephesians 2.8.9 says, by grace we have been saved. And so that what, uh, once we were apart from our Father, but now because of Jesus, we are that no longer. We were once estranged from our Father, but now because of Jesus, no longer. We were once alienated from our Father, but now because of Jesus, we are that no longer. And just like that story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, our Father has forgiven us. And he has set his eternal love upon us. His love that never quits, his love that never stops, his love that never ceases is ours in Christ Jesus. And so this is important to know because when we go through these times of suffering, these times of trials, probably one of the first things that we will begin to question is whether God is good, and then we begin to question our relationship with him. Is he really a good father to us? And so this relationship of love 
is essential. We have to know our identity as children of God and this God who is this loving, forgiving, good father that wants the very best for us. How do we know he wants what's best for us? That he, our father, would send his only son, his most precious son, to die on a cross, to sacrifice his life for you and for me. And then we go through times of suffering and trial and we think God doesn't want what's best for us when he's already done that for, with Christ Jesus? No, Christians. Our Father want what's best for us. Know that this morning. And you see that God loves us so much that he actually wants us to become certain kind of people. And the Hebrews author, he uses this similar argument. He says, you know, earthly fathers train their kids. You know, parents know this better than anyone, right? Kids come out of the womb. They are not instantly mature adults, right? Responsible people. They have to be trained. They have to have like boundaries, right? Set boundaries on them. They need to be molded and formed. And that's the role of the parents, and he's using this very common experience that we all have. And he's saying, you know, God our Father is the same way. You see, when we were born again, when we were born from above, we're not born mature Christians. We're not perfect image bearers of Christ. And so God trains us. He forms us. He molds us. And the vision that he has for us is that we become like Christ. That's what we're being transformed into. And you see, part of the gospel is sanctification, which is that we become like Christ. That God doesn't leave us in our sinful selves, but by a very interesting process, ups and downs, a very long process, which actually involves pain, we are formed and become like Jesus. You see, the Bible often uses this metaphor of being tested by fire. It's the process of putting like gold or silver in a furnace, in a fire, and it burns off the impurities. Well, the point of the metaphor is obvious. It's to burn off impurities, but going through fire is not a pleasant experience. And that's what the author of Hebrews says. It's not pleasant at the time, but later it produces something good. It says here that it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so, though it may not be pleasant, God is doing something, and our good Father is in fact making us like Christ, and the Hebrews author says that's a sign that we are actually children of God. Which means that our suffering, though, and this is the good news, is that it's for a reason. And so the second point that we're going to consider this morning, you'll see it on your screen, is that our Father is producing a good through discipline. That God, as he says, uh, to share his holiness. That's what he says in verse 10. That so that we would share his holiness. Now, this assumes something about us. It assumes that we are not holy. And just like what I was 
saying before, we need to be molded and formed to become holy. Which means that we need to use a construction metaphor. We need renovation. That we are, in a sense, a ruin needing to be renovated. If we were perfect, you see, pain might be perplexing. But if we know that we need reform, then pain actually begins to make a little more sense in our lives. So I'm, I'm married now. And so this also means that my, like my TV shows that I normally watch has been expanded a little bit more. So before I would mostly probably stick to sports, mainly soccer, big soccer fan. But, you know, now I watch other shows, and one of these uh, shows is Fixer Upper. I'm sure you know the show. It is about these, this married couple, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and as the show title says, they take these houses that are basically ruins, and they renovate them, and they resell them. And it's, it's a great show. Well, Chip is a really funny guy, and his favorite day... If you've seen the show, you know, he always gets like a kid who's super giddy about Christmas morning or something because demolition day is his favorite day. And if there's one day that I could be on the show, that would be the day I would pick because he makes it look super fun. I mean, he's taking a hammer, he's smashing stuff, he's jumping on light fixtures, he's ripping stuff down. It looks awesome. Now, this is a weird analogy, but let's just, just play with me here for a second. Imagine this house is a sentient being, which means it has feelings. And Chip is taking a hammer and he's breaking walls. He's destroying stuff in the house. The house would be screaming, right? He'd be saying, ouch, and maybe a couple other words. And Chip would have to then, you know, tell this house. And he's like, the house would be like, Chip, what are you doing, bro? And the house would be very upset, right? Because he's being hurt. But Chip would have to sit him down and be like, look, I know this is painful. I mean, when these hammers go through your walls or I run through it, it's not a painless experience. But you are a ruin. You're not a livable home. But after we get through with you, after, yes, we, we tear down a couple things and rebuild you, guess what? You, little house, are going to be so beautiful that actually people will cry when they see you, which quite often happens on the show. So there's going to be pain now, but later it's going to be worth it. And you see, yes, it's kind of a weird analogy, but we are very much the same way. We may not understand the pain and why we're going through it, but God has a purpose. God has a plan in it, even if it's not entirely obvious to us. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, says this wonderful quote. He says, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, pain is often one of God's greatest instruments. It's God's hammer. 
smashing our security, destroying our idols, obliterating our independence. And yes, that's not painless. In fact, Jesus, when he calls all of his disciples, he says, if anyone were to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, which is excruciating pain, death, and follow me. But it's for a good thing. If God wants us to be fully mature Christians, then he needs to destroy some of these things in our lives. And often he uses pain to do that. And so James 1, James 1, he says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face various kinds of trials. Consider it joy. I mean, you might think this guy's whacked out of his mind, but James is not loving pain for the sake of pain. You see, James says, but the point of the trials is to produce steadfastness, endurance, and in fact, makes us mature Christians. James sees beyond the trials to seeing what God is up to. That's what he has joy in. And in fact, right before this, uh, Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. But you see, it was the joy set before him, how he got through the pain. Now, it doesn't always have to be these extreme situations that we go through, these hardships that often come into our lives. It can just be kind of an ordinary kind of experience. But yet God can show us great blessings in them. I had one of these a couple weeks ago. So we were on vacation. And one of the days I wasn't, I wasn't feeling very well. So we, I was staying in the hotel room and my wife went to go get pizza about half a mile down the road. And so she gets the pizza, she puts it in the car, she's about to start the car up, and it normally starts, but this time it didn't. So she tries it again. She tries it again. It doesn't work. So she calls me, and again, I'm not feeling well, and she says, hey, your car won't start. Can you come down here to me? So I'm not feeling well. I'm in the hotel room. I have to go walk a half a mile down the road, to my car that won't start. And when I get there, what am I going to do? It's, it's about 8 o'clock at night. We're not in, we're not in Visalia. We're going to tow it? I don't know anything about cars. Now I'm like, man, I should have like taken a mechanic course or something. I have no idea what to do. So I'm walking down there. And the long walk gave me a time to pray. And I'm praying to God. And I'm like, why of all days does this have to happen right now? that my car won't, like, why can't it, like, I've happened when I was in Visalia, when I have many more people and resources to lean on. And what am I going to do at this time of day? I have no idea. And I'm like, God, why does this have to happen? Could it just be my wife doesn't know how to turn on a car? She knows how to turn on a car, but I'm just searching for anything. I'm like, can I just get there? And there's like a miracle. My battery starts and it's great. But really, 
maybe you've had these moments where you're crying out to God going, why does this have to happen right now? But you see, we actually ended up seeing an amazing blessing that came through this experience. To make a long story short, her dad knew a police officer who originally worked in Visalia, but now was working in the Central Coast area. And then he happens, again, happens to be on duty at this time. He's in the area. He comes to our car. He jumps our car. We're able to drive to AutoZone, which is like 20 minutes before it closes. The guy drops everything and graciously changes my dead battery, which is awesome because I have no idea what to do about a battery. And then, by way of text, this family in our church, I'm going to call them out because they're awesome. Kurt and Andy Saltzman, they were in the area. They had just finished dinner. They heard that we were stranded and abandoned and our car wouldn't start. And so they finish their dinner. They drive straight to the auto zone. And yes, this is my payback, Kurt Saltzman. He pays for my battery. And so we drive back a couple hours later to the hotel room. We're praying to God and we're actually thanking him. We're thanking him for the amazing blessings that we saw through these hardships. Now, would I want that to happen again? No. But it was awesome to see how God provided even in this, yes, it's not a major hardship, but it was a hardship in our lives. And so God is up to something. And although we may not like it in the moment, right? How many of us, how many of you guys have ever had something happen, right? And in the middle of it, you're struggling, you're fighting God, and you don't know what's, what's going on. But later, after this whole thing happens, you look back, and though you may not want to repeat it, you say, you know what, I'm, I wouldn't change it though, because I am who I am. I'm the person I am today because I went through this, that actually God used this great thing to make a difference in me. And so we actually praise God for the hardships because what it produced in our lives. You see, in this, in this COVID moment that we're still in the middle of, we still don't know what really maybe God's up to, but know that we're going to have stories soon, hopefully, that we're going to be able to talk about maybe how you homeschooled your kids or this online church experience and how, what a strange thing that is. But know that God is doing something, that he's involved in it, that he loves you, and that he's going to bring us through it. And yes, in the middle, it can be difficult to know what he's up to. But that's why in this moment, we need to lean into him and to trust him. You know, I think one of the greatest comforting things about being a Christian and following Jesus is that Jesus knows suffering. That is one of the most comforting things. You know, and Jesus is God in the flesh that there is no other religion or philosophy that holds that God personally knows suffering that really every human being has to go through, except our God knows suffering at an experiential level in Jesus Christ. 
that we don't worship a God who's so far removed, so transcendent, so like out there that he doesn't actually know what the dirt, grime, everyday living, suffering life that we live. Our God knows. As it says in Hebrews 12 too, looking to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, that we worship a God in Jesus, look to him. This is a game changer. He suffered with us. He suffered for us. And that changes everything about our own suffering. So look to the cross. If you were there and you were to see Jesus hanging on a cross, you would see the face of God. And in that face would be a face full of pain as he suffered and died for you. But also you would see a face full of love because he died for a reason. And that reason was you, you individually and you collectively. And that's a great news that we have. And that encourages us. As a third point of this morning and our final point is that be strengthened and keep Going As it says, therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, because we know we have a good father and that he's producing a good through the sufferings that we go to. We know that God's up to something. So we keep going. We're strengthened. We're encouraged. Because, you know, suffering, trials, temptations, pains, all the stuff that we go through, that could cause us to give up. This is why the author is writing this. He wants to help us to keep going today. And when we know that our suffering is for a reason and that our good God is up to something, we can keep going. That doesn't mean that every question is answered. Where would faith be? That doesn't mean we're going to have perfect clarity. Where would trust be? As Paul says, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so we need to have patience. I think this is a key virtue that we need to have. Because perhaps at a later vantage point, we'll be able to see what God's up to. But in the middle, right now, we need to be patient. I would, I would tell you to look at James 5, 7. It talks about suffering with patience. To trust in him right now. The ultimate destination is secure. And somehow our sufferings contribute to us being formed, shaped, to be like Christ. So hang on. Be patient. Have faith that God is doing a great work in you. We're going to sing this last song. It's called King of My Heart. And there's this often repeated line in the song that says, we're crying out to God. We, we are praising and we're saying, you are good. You are good. You know, when we're going through times of suffering, this is one of the things we question. Do we believe that God is good? And the answer is yes, that God is good and that he uses sufferings in our lives. That's not a sign that God is not good, but that God is going to do a great work in us. And so sing loudly and believe that he's good no matter what we're going through. Circumstances don't dictate what God is like. God is always, always good. And I want to leave you with these last words of Jesus. Jesus says this in John 16. 
He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Grace community, I hope that you are filled with the peace of God this morning. Let us end this morning in praising him.